So glad you've joined us online today. Appreciate you being with us for worship and now our time in the Word. Well, we have a subject that is typically uncomfortable for people today. You know, Jesus spoke more about money than heaven or hell combined. That's easy to verify. You can look it up in your concordance, so you'll find out he spoke about money far more often. And Paul, here in our readings in Corinthians this week, you've seen that Paul has devoted two chapters, a significant portion of this letter, to the subject of giving. But in these two chapters, we're going to see some great principles and a model for our giving as believers, specifically our giving to the church. Now, you may be thinking, well, Pastor, you've been saying for weeks that our giving is strong. And it is. But we always need to be encouraged, uh, to be reminded, to be challenged. You know, I thought about this week in our reading through 2 Corinthians in in chapter uh, 10 and verse 8, Paul mentioned his authority was from the Lord to build the church. And that's true of me and every pastor. Our authority is from the Lord to build the church. And so my role is to call you to deeper commitment and to call you to greater steps of faith. And on the subject of giving, I'd have to say that just as in the Corinthian church, there are people in the church today that are not fully obedient to the Word of God. And so we have to continually focus on the truth and and be called into accountability. All right, so we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Uh, It's quite a lengthy passage, so I'm going to read some sections with you and then summarize some others. Let's start in chapter 8 and look at the first five verses with me. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Now you may recall from some of our previous study, there's a famine and severe need in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is suffering greatly, so Paul has been encouraging Uh, other churches, as well as the Corinthians, to give toward a relief effort uh, for the churches in Jerusalem. Now, Macedonia that he refers to here was a very impoverished uh, province. They've been through many wars. Um, They're being basically plundered by by the Roman government. And so the Macedonian churches, the church at Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, were not as well off as the Corinthians, but Paul says they had given quite generously to the poor in Jerusalem. And you see in verse 2, he says they had abundant joy in their giving in spite of their difficulty. Why was that? Their giving was out of devotion to the Lord. They were so grateful for the grace God had given them, and they were excited to be able to give generously. And I want you to notice in verses 3 and 4, two elements of their giving. First of all, it says that they gave according to their means and beyond their means. According to their means. Well, just like for us, there were no set guidelines on how much that they should give because God expected people to give. He expects us to give based on what we have, what he's blessed us with. But you notice they also gave beyond their means. They sacrificed. It wasn't just the leftovers, whatever pocket change they had. It was being willing to give up something they might want in order to help others who are in need. And then the second element you see besides them giving according to and beyond their means is that their giving was not forced. They gave freely. This is interesting. In verse 4, Paul says they even begged to have 
the opportunity. They could have taken a pass. They could have said, Paul, you know that, that we're in great difficulty here as well, that we're suffering as well, that finances are tight, things are hard. But they said, no, we want to be a part of that. They recognized that giving what was a privilege, not an obligation. In verse 5, he tells us the key to their generosity. Look at verse 5. It says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. The priority of the believers in Macedonia was to give themselves sacrificially to the Lord. And this fits the pattern of Scripture. You remember what Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 12? After he'd explained all of God's mercies toward them, he said, I urge you in view of these mercies that God has given you to do what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know, we can't really give of our means willfully and, and cheerfully until we have first surrendered ourselves completely to the Lord. When we recognize that we're His, that He owns us, that we belong to Him, when we recognize that, it's easy to remember that everything we have is His as well. Well, in verses 6 through 8 here of chapter 8, you see that the Corinthians had previously begun to receive an offering. Uh, that had already begun to happen, but they hadn't completed. And perhaps the reason for that was, you remember that there were some in the church that thought that Paul was just a, a huckster and, and he was going to keep the money for himself. So Paul is encouraging them in verses 6 through 8 to go on with what they started in receiving this offering. Now, verse 9, this is a real key the greatest example of giving, Paul referred to the Macedonian churches and, and how sacrificially they gave, but the greatest example of giving was not any church, but the Lord himself. Look what Paul says in verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now let's, let's land on that for just a minute. In his letter to the Colossians, in Colossians 1.16, Paul reminds them and reminds us, by him, talking about Jesus, all things were created. Now listen, all things were created by him and for him. All of creation. He created everything, he made everything, and it all belongs to him. You know what that means? No one will ever be richer. No one will ever be more wealthy than Jesus. You can take all the billionaires in the world and combine all their wealth, and Jesus is wealthier than that, and in fact, their wealth belongs to him. What does Paul say in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 8? You know that he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. What did Jesus do? He, he set aside everything he was entitled to, he took on a human form and body that was very limiting. And then he died on a cross with nothing. You know that when Jesus died on the cross, he literally owned nothing, not even one article of clothing. And Paul says he did that. Why? So that we could become rich. Because Jesus was willing to become poor, we become spiritually rich. We become eternally rich. We receive an inheritance that can never be lost or destroyed. Jesus invested his wealth in our spiritual well-being. And Paul brings that up because the sacrifice of Jesus is a model for us that we're willing to invest in the well-being of others. Well, in, in verses 10 through 12, he basically encourages them, hey, you need to finish what you started. That offering that you were taking to help these other saints and these other churches, you need to finish that. And then look in verses 13 through 15. Paul kind of eases their mind here. 
Maybe they're worried, hey, if we don't hang on to what we've got, we might have a need, and our need might not be met. You know, it's certainly true in, in our culture in America, probably more than any other country in the world, that, that we're all hoarders. Now, your house may not be full of junk, but we hang on to our material resources. Some of us have good reason. You know, for me, growing up in a, in a single-parent home and, and having very little and not knowing week to week if there would be enough food, it, it's easy to get to the point where you think, well, i got to hang on to this because I might have a need. Well, Paul addresses that here in verses 13 through 15, for them not to be worried that they're suddenly going to have a need and it not be met. Look, look what it says in verse 13. Paul says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathers much, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. Listen, Paul says, hey, God's not going to let you go without. He's not going to put you under undue financial burden, have you give to others when you have a great need. So what Paul's saying here is, listen, you help others while they are in need, while you have abundance, you help others. And if the time comes that you have need, then they're going to help you. As I read those verses this week, I thought about how here at Geyer Springs, sometimes we'll do a service called Meet the Need, where we'll gather for worship and we'll have people who have needs go to a separate room and share what their needs are that are unmet. And then we'll present those needs to the church and different members will say, well, I've got extra, I'll take care of that need. I'll, I'll buy those tires for that single mom's car. Or I'll pay that utility bill for that family with, where the dad's without a job. And I'll never forget the last Meet the Need service we had a couple of years ago. A woman came up to me and she said, hey, I want to meet someone's need this morning because the last time we did this, I had a need that someone met. And now my needs are taken care of, so I want to help someone else. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. We don't have to worry that when we give to someone, uh, we might go without. God is going to take care of our needs. Now, before we move on, look at verse 15. This is a great illustration. The illustration Paul gives in verse 15, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. He's talking about the manna in the wilderness. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God met their physical needs or need for food by sending manna. And there may be some that were able to gather much and some who, maybe an elderly person who gathered little, but Paul said when they gathered the manna, because some would collect more than others, they were able to share with others. No one did without. And here's the thing about the manna. Catch this. You could not gather more than your need. Because if you tried to hoard the manna, if you tried to gather more than you needed, and after you'd eaten that day, you thought, well, I'll put this aside for tomorrow or the next day just in case there's not enough, you know what happened to the manna? It would spoil. It would spoil. It, it would mold or, or, or worms would get in it. That's a reminder to us. We can't save up more than we'll need and take it with us. You, you've heard the saying before, you don't see U-Hauls behind hearses. There's no point in having more than you need. Well, the, the remainder of chapter 8, uh, verses 16 through 24, Paul affirms Titus. Titus was the one who was working with the Corinthian church and encouraging them in this offering. But, but look, he also lays out, he explains some, some process and procedures for how the offering is going to be received and how it's going to be distributed. You know, Paul's trying to be very, very careful 
and give incredible scrutiny and, and oversight so there would be no opportunity for the funds to be misappropriated. And that was important because he didn't want to bring dishonor on the church and on the name of Christ. Because then, just as now, when, when church leaders are guilty of mishandling funds, it brings dishonor to the name of Christ. Well, moving on to chapter 9. In these first five verses of chapter 9, Paul again affirms the church. He encourages them to finish what they started. If you take a glance down at verse 2, he tells the Corinthians, your zeal has stirred up most of them. In other words, just as the Macedonian churches encouraged people to give because they were willing, now that the Corinthians are also giving, they're stirring others up. You know, when we're faithful to obey God and we're faithful to do things he's called us to, like giving, it stirs up the people around us because we talk about that and we share about that. And so Paul's in encouraging and affirming them. Look down at verses 6 through 8. Here's what it comes down to. Paul says, here's the point about your giving that I want you to see. Here's the point. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. By the way, the word cheerful in Greek is hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What's he saying about the sowing process? You know, no farmer um, goes out and plants just the minimum amount of seed to just have an average crop. No, that, that's not his plan and his purpose. When, when a farmer goes out, he wants to have a large crop, and so he's got to sow a large amount of seed. So Paul is saying... Our, our harvest or our spiritual blessing is directly proportionate to the amount of seed that we have sown. Now hear me clearly, I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. I'm not saying, hey, if you'll send Geyer Springs $100, God's going to send you $1,000. I'm not saying the more you give, the more you get financially in return. Spiritual blessings that God provides are, are much more than just money. And there are spiritual blessings, there's a harvest not only now, but later in eternity based on how much we sow. Verse 7 is probably very familiar to you, but it's just a reminder where it says that God wants you to give what he's placed on your heart, not grudgingly, not under compulsion. He wants you to give cheerfully. The reminder is that have-to giving or, or giving that is out of guilt or coercion doesn't produce any reward. You need to give like the Macedonians out of your love for and your devotion to the Lord. God loves a heart that is enthusiastically thrilled with the pleasure of giving. That's why Paul pointed out the Macedonians in chapter 8. It's the attitude of the heart, not necessarily the size of the gift. And verse 8 basically tells us when we help others in need, we're not going to suffer from need ourselves. Now, we might suffer from not getting all of our wants. There's a big difference in want and need. We might not, might, may not be able to have that new car that we'd like to get every couple of years or the boat or the fancy vacation. We may not be able to have those things, but our needs are always going to be met. In other words, Paul is saying, look, when you use your resources wisely and you give generously, God replenishes. And why does God replenish? Because he can trust you to use your resources the way he wants you to use them and to meet the needs of others. Well, there's much more here, but let me, let me finish chapter 9 by pointing out just two additional verses in chapter 9. Look at verse 11. 
He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He's reaffirming what he's already said. You're going to be enriched because you give faithfully. God's going to continue to bless you so you can continue to be generous in every way. And what's the result? It produces thanksgiving to God. It honors God. It causes people to thank God. And that could even be true of people who don't know the Lord. When we bless them and meet their needs and care for them in the name of Jesus, it might provide opportunity. They might begin to recognize the Lord is at work in their heart and in their life, and it might provide opportunity to lead them to Christ. And then finally, at the end of chapter 9, verse 15, he says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Going back to chapter 8, verse 9. Look what Jesus did. He was rich, but he became poor for us. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What is Paul doing? He's summarizing this discourse on giving by pointing again to the ultimate gift, the ultimate giver that God gave us Jesus. And I love that Paul says it's, it's inexpressible, it, it, it's indescribable. And by the way, when you focus on the gift that God has given, that takes away any concern about your needs being met. Think about what Paul said in Romans 8.32. If God was willing to give us his only son, how will he not also freely give us all things? He's going to take care of us. His son is testimony to that very fact. Well, I want to I encourage you this morning. I, I want to show you a picture of what Paul is talking about here, a, an example of giving. I want to encourage you with an example of your giving and the impact that it can make and, and the way it can bless other believers and other bodies, other churches that are in need. Josh, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here, so thank you. Well, let me just update folks real quick. You, your wife, Amy, and four children have been in Portland for how many years now? Six years, six years. Our church is three years old, but we've been on the ground here for six years, yep. Okay, and that was a big move for you guys coming out of Tennessee, right? Oh my gosh, it's a completely different world. Uh, we don't have enough time to tell you how different it is. Right, uh, right. Totally different. The Lord's been good to us, but uh, yeah, yeah. all to hear God gave us a word six years ago and we moved. So. Yeah, and, and Portland's a tough place because they're not really open to evangelicals, are they? Yeah, no. You know, I think the thing is, you know, you get around any church planner, and church planner's going to tell you how hard their city is, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, Portland's known um, as a graveyard for church planning for mm. many reasons, but what you guys are seeing on national news now for us is the reality that um, it is a different place. And I think people are realizing that now. It's a different culture than anything that you, that most people in, in America are really exposed to unless yeah. you've been to the Northwest and lived the Northwest, so. Well, very different culture. And how has, not just COVID, but maybe specifically all the unrest, how's that added to the difficulty there of reaching people? Yeah, you know, like we love our city, number one, right? We love them. Um, we love being here. We love what God's doing. We believe God's in the midst of all of this. But um, I think, you know, for us, we, because we're about 15 minutes uh, west of the city, we're not seeing the destruction that maybe you see on the news, those sorts of things. Right. Um, but I will tell you this, is the culture itself is impacted in the suburbs. Um, because Portland is such a community-oriented city, um, movements happen really quickly here. And that's why you see things like Antifa, you see things mm. um, that, that happen really fast here, because it actually gets into the ingrained into the culture of the suburbs as well. Whereas maybe like a large city like Seattle, you don't see that as much because it's so large. It's hard to get sure, momentum. Sure. Um, Portland's a very close-knit, small kind of community city. And, um, and so it's really inbred in the culture. So even in the suburbs, I think 
though we're not seeing the destruction, it does mess with the emotional and mental state uh, of people that live here, absolutely. Well, there's at least gotta be a spirit of fear with all that going on, I would think. A hundred percent. I think yeah. that's one of the biggest things that we see even within our church, um, who, um, in fact, I'll even tell you for us um, raising four kids, we feel some of that. Sure. I, how I'm kind of approaching things because I live in that culture that really does impact you more than you know. Yeah. Um, and it, cha- it does changes how, changes how you view what's happening in the world, 100%. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk specifically just for a minute about church. Um, what are the regulations there as far as you being able to meet and, and have church services? Yeah, so we've been closed down, still closed down. Um, you know, uh, we just found out recently that um, even if we were to have a service, we, it's, it's less than 10 people in a room. Mm. Um, if we were to have a service right now, um, it, you have to wear a mask even preaching. Um, there's a lot of... Um, pushback towards even even having service. I'll tell you this, that even we did a survey within our church twice now, and maybe 50% or less of our people um, have any desire to really want to come back um, right. and gather right now because of, again, when you're in a culture that kind of um, pushes against that most of that, um, it's hard not to go with that culture when you're a minority in thinking. Sure. And it, it just impacts you. It impacts you. So I think as a church, you know, we're we're, we're hoping to get back uh, to gathering sometime soon, but we've been in phase one and locked down for a long yeah. time. So okay. uh, it's just the way it is, you know. So. Well, but, but I guess we would say God is certainly preparing. Recently, um, y'all have been yep. given a building. Um, obviously, the yes. building needs a lot of work, was in some disrepair, yeah. but a building's been provided. Um, you've been in the yeah. process of kind of rehabbing that building and refurbishing that building. I assume that's been affected. If you're not meeting, you're probably not getting a lot of... <laughs> Financial yeah. help from people. Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing is, is church moves so slow here, right? So um, a large percentage of, for example, there's, I think, 347, 349, don't quote me on it, uh, Southern Baptist churches within the Northwest. So you have Oregon, Washington, Idaho, British Columbia, right. all this area. And out of those 347, 349 churches, um, um, over 60% of those will never make 50 people, period. Hmm. So when you think about giving, and then on top of that, the Northwest um, is that most of our people didn't grow up in church or around church. Um, so the idea of giving is just not a, it's not a, a rhythm of life. Sure. So sure. that in itself is hard enough. Being a small church plant is hard enough. We weren't sustainable anyways. And now we've been given this building that we have to renovate, which praise God for it, but it's costing way more money than we can handle for a ch- church like us. And then we get hit with a pandemic. Right. So um, we're not, here's the thing, I'm not running out of fear because God's hands in this thing. I'm literally sitting in a building right now that's worth $4 million that's ours because God just is flat that good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like I'm literally sitting in a miracle right now. So I'm not questioning God. Like no, I crossed no, the Red no. Sea, I'm remembering the Red Sea, right? Like, good, I'm, I'm not good. gonna be that, I'm not gonna be those people. I'm remembering we yes. crossed it, but now we gotta go through some difficult wilderness right. um, in a very difficult place, um, but we're gonna get to the promised land. I believe that. I'm for it. I think it's going to happen. So, but we can't do it without people like you guys. Yes. Well, let me tell our people something you already know because I didn't want to shock you in front of everybody. But we (laughs) knew of the situation there. We support you guys regularly. But we felt like we needed to do something more because of where things are right now. So this last week, uh, we sent a ten thousand dollar check from Geyer Springs to Remedy City to help with some of that. And I want to tell you, our our people um, have just heard a message from Second Corinthians eight and nine where Paul was yeah. encouraging them to help the church in Jerusalem that had need. And this is just a great example. Because our yeah. people have been faithful to give during this time, a lot of them are not on campus either, but they're online giving, they're dropping their 
giving off, because they've been faithfully giving, we were able this week to help a church that was in need. And we're just excited about being Come able on. to do that and thankful that you guys are gonna be able to do a little more work there to get ready when God opens the doors. Yep. Yeah, God's gonna make it happen. And like I said, when you called me, Pastor Dave, and told me that, I'm gonna be honest with you, um, I was just having one of those moments that day where it was like, Lord, like I know, I know you're in this. I know your hand's in it. Um, but I just need to hear it today. I just yeah. I need to see it today. You yeah. give me that. I'm not making that up. You called me um, or sent me a, an email and uh, text and, and told me what was happening. And, uh, and it, I'm telling you, it was just at the right moment. It was a prophetic sure. moment in my, in my life where God says, I'm still in the game. I'm still doing this thing. Yeah. I called you here. Yeah. I'm making it happen. And, uh, and it just encouraged me. I can't tell you how much uh, Good. it encouraged me. Good. And, uh, and our team, by the way, I already told them, they were blown away. So, Good. Super excited. All right, let's wrap yeah. up with this. Can you tell our folks just a couple of things specifically that you would like them to pray for you and for Remedy City? Yeah, you know, um, we, during this time, you know, there's just, a, like you guys, a lot of uncertainty, right? So um, we just need a lot, a lot of wisdom. I need a lot of wisdom as I lead um, into the next steps um, because the culture is going to move a lot slower than I want to. Right. So just a lot of uh, wisdom on how to fast to move and when to move. Um, the ability to pivot, maybe do some things differently that we have to do for a season. Um, open doors in our community to use this phase, this building this fall. Even mm. if we can't meet here as a church, could we use this building in a way to build the relationships that we can build to reach yeah. more people for Jesus? Amen. And uh, so I need that. I'm praying for our team, encouragement, provision, obviously, for more partners. We've got to have more partners. And, um, you know, I, I think... Um, uh, against, I, I know this is against spiritual warfare. You know, I think yeah. we all experience it in ways here that's very different than anything I've experienced before. And um, and if Satan can take our team out, yeah. um, he can destroy destroy a lot of the work. And so, I think provision, protection, encouragement, um, and wisdom. You know, those things okay. for us just keep keep building us up, keep lifting us up. And thank you for what you do for us. So. All right. Well, let me do that right now. I want to pray for you and your team, okay? Right. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we do lift up Josh in Remedy City. We do ask for your provision. Thank you for the way, even this last week, you used our church body to encourage Josh mm -hmm. and, and the church. God, we pray for protection. Uh, God, you know the evil one is uh, trying to just cause another church in that area to fail, but you have them there to be a light in that area. So we pray you give Josh and the team wisdom as they have to pivot and do things differently. And God, I pray you'd give them favor within the community as they build relationships and reach people with the gospel message. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of being a partner with them and being a part of the kingdom work there in Portland. For we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. amen. Josh, amen. thanks so much. Our folks will be praying and uh, we look you, forward to getting up there before too long and working with you. you. Gotta come, gotta be here. So we love you guys. Thank you for all you do for us. Looking forward to seeing you soon, so thank you. All right, thank you, Josh. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. Well, I'm so thankful for Josh and our partnership with him, and I do hope you'll remember to pray for him as he has asked us to. Now, I want to remind you this morning, I'm not preaching on money because we're in need. I'm preaching on what's in God's Word and our need to be obedient. Scripture is very clear on giving regularly and consistently to the work of the ministry that God has given the church. Paul, back in his first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, said, on the first day of every week, each one should set aside a sum keeping with his income. It was to be regular that they were to set aside a portion of what God had blessed them with to be ready to give that. Now, let me review very quickly 
um, four principles of giving in this passage here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that, that we just studied together. The very first is this. In chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, he says that you give in proportion to your means or according to your income. You give in line with however much God has prospered you. If God has prospered you significantly, then you should give a more substantial amount. Remember, what you receive that's more than you need is just going to spoil. It's not going to go with you in eternity if you keep it for yourself. And, and your percentage in giving, whatever that is, whatever amount God's leads you to give, it's got to be more than just the tithe if you've been blessed and you've prospered. We always want to go back to the tithe. Well, the tithe is the starting point. You know, for us, early in our marriage, um, we had both grown up tithing. We both tithed. But as we were able, we began to increase that amount and increase that amount. As God blessed us, we gave in proportion to our need. The second thing, though, that you see here in those same verses, chapter 8, 2, and 3, is there are times that we give sacrificially, that, that we it doesn't mean we get to the point of personal deprivation. We don't have enough to eat. We can't pay our, our, our mortgage, our utility bills. But it does mean that we're willing to give sacrificially. In other words, maybe to give up, again, one of those wants. It, it, it does mean that perhaps we don't buy a new car that year. We don't take an exotic vacation. We don't have to have the newest top-of-the-line electronics or recreational gear. The Macedonians evidently sacrificed even to the point a personal deprivation. They were in need just like those in Jerusalem, but they rejoice at being able to give and to give sacrificially. The third principle, we, we give in proportion to our means, we give at times sacrificially, but then also chapter 9 verse 7, we give freely. We give freely. We, we cheerfully, we let the Lord speak to us and call us to the level of giving he wants us to give, and then we cheerfully do that. You know, and it's easier to do when you recognize it doesn't belong to you. You should hold it loosely. Everything that you have belongs to the Lord, not just the 10% tithe. Everything belongs to the Lord, and so you have to hold it loosely and be willing to give freely when he calls you to. And then finally, the fourth principle I would share with you, besides giving in proportion to your means and, and at times giving sacrificially and making sure your attitude is right, that you're giving freely and cheerfully, finally in chapter 8, verse 9, Paul reminds us we give remembering what Christ has done. We remember that Christ had everything. He was rich beyond measure, and yet he was willing to give that up. You see, your giving is really centered on and affected by one key thing, your relationship with Christ. The depth of your relationship with Christ is going to affect your giving. When you recognize what he's done for you, you want to give to, to honor him and to demonstrate that same love to others. And when you recognize what he's done for you, you're willing to be totally obedient, even in your giving. You're just a steward of what he's provided for you, and you can count on him. If he's willing to give his life for you, you can count on him to take care of you. You cannot outgive his ability to care for you. you. You can't give too much. Well, tremendous word from Paul, probably the most comprehensive section in Scripture on, on giving. And as we as we close in just a moment here and come to a time where we just reflect and, and think about our response, can I remind you that it's through your giving that the Lord matures your faith and grows your dependence on Him? And God calls us to give 
not as a way of, uh, not as a way of raising money, but I, God calls us to give to develop our spiritual character.